Welcome to Highway Freaks, real truckers, real life. I'm Bry Guy, your road dog host, introducing my road crew from British Columbia, Canada, J-Man the Star, from Vancouver Island, Motorhead Mark, and Cruisin' Corinne, from Swift Current, Saskatchewan, Electric Aaron, and of course, country rock singer G.M. Blacktop, produced by Calgary's Power Pack. We are Highway Freaks. That's right. We're Highway Freaks. Real truckers. Real life. I'm Bry Guy, your host. And tonight on my road crew, we have Cruisin' Corinne, Electric Aaron, Ghost Hunter Greg, I think Motorhead Mark will be joining us soon, and of course, Power Pav. So a lot of things have happened this week. Uh, first of all, I wanted to go over some crazy uh things that happened on halloween in calgary alberta canada um there was uh some weird things given to kids this year guys uh as a good example um and you'll see this on tiktok you can actually watch the video uh this couple out of auburn it's a kind of a subdivision of calgary they actually gave kids two liters of coke to put in their uh you know their their pillows and their sacks could you imagine carrying two liters of Coke with all the candy? <gasps> Crazy. Um, the other two things, uh, I guess one couple just decided it was hard times, and they decided to give out McDonald's ketchup packets <laughs> to kids. So, uh, And the other one, strange as this sound, was potatoes. They were actually giving potatoes to kids on Halloween. So um, despite that, Justin Trudeau, uh, our our great Prime Minister of Canada, not, and his nine-year-old kid, they kind of flubbed because he dressed up as a trucker. Yes, that's right. And the kid was the headless horseman. So I don't know. I think that's kind of in bad taste of what's going on in Hamas and Israel, that situation where there's beheadings. So probably a really bad choice. And um, Pierre Polyev, our next Prime Minister of Canada, he screwed up too. He dressed up as a lumberjack with an axe, and apparently there was an axe murder actually in Nova Scotia. So both kind of screwed up there. Um, so many crazy things happening in the news. Uh, I want to talk about this statue that is being put up in Calgary. Has anybody heard about that? Oh, no, yeah. No. I, I saw it on your Facebook, I think, man. Yeah, just your Facebook. Cool. You, I saw your post. Right, right. They have a a 70-foot statue that's going to be put up in front of the BMO Center in Calgary, and it comes in at a price of $2.25 million. <gasps> now, that's, that, I mean, yeah, the, it looks good as art. I'm not going to say it ain't, but at that price, I, I think in this day and age when, you know, food banks have shelves that are empty in Calgary, I personally think that uh, Mayor Gondek of uh, Calgary has made a huge mistake by having that approved. When you guys say that? Uh, government spending. Yes, government spending. Got, exactly, they, Greg. They got to spend stuff before the end of the year or else they don't get that same fiscal amount the next year. That's why they're wasting it on silly things like a statue. Right. And, and of course, Aaron, you know that Calgary has the dubious honor of having the world's largest cock ring, a big blue ring. I kid you not, Corinne. 
Okay, cost a half a million dollars. That's all it is. It's a big ring, and everybody has nicknamed it Calgary's cock ring. So, I that's I don't know what to say about it, but it does look suspiciously that. like that. Well, was it Ottawa? Didn't they have that big rubber duck a few years back? And it it cost like a hundred million dollars for that big duck. I can't recall yeah. what the heck it was for, not, but it was like it's like ten years ago or something. I'm not sure about the rubber duck. Uh, I haven't. No, I never come across that. I've seen some strange art, and then I mean, and Edmonton has the talus balls. That's that's these giant silver balls that are all in like it actually almost looks like a giant mound of rabbit poop quite frankly and then that guy he got stuck in it and uh they they later discovered that it actually has a trap door so how crazy is that so yeah lots of lots of crazy things in the news anybody else got any news worthy articles to uh tell our freaks about for this uh this week i don't have anything really no no no, no, just the things that's going on with Hamas and Israel and uh, Biden pouring more and more millions in, or billions into it and uh, Trudeau joining as well. So, yeah. Yeah, that's getting know. ridiculous. It is. It truly is. So that's why you guys that are listening to this podcast can just forget about all that news fluff and come to here and, you know, listen to some great music from Fist. We got some classic music tonight, uh, including Never Come Back, Good Hard Rock, No, 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 and Raise Hell tonight. Uh, we're going to pick some classic fist. And coming up on the 16th of November, the weekend of, uh, we have the uh, rock god himself, uh, Brian Vollmer, uh, lead singer of Helix. And uh, we'll be doing a Bright Guy's eye-opener interview with him. So I'm really, really looking forward to doing that interview with him because I'm, I'm sure he's got uh, lots of, uh, of fun facts over the years that uh, Helix has been involved with, not to mention uh, bands and whatnot. So we've got that. So what's on everybody's mind? So what are we going to talk about? Let's start with Ghost Hunter Greg. What's on your mind, buddy? Uh. There's a lot on my mind, man, but I think we talked last week, I was talking about my, my years in the fire service and we got to talking about emergency. So I looked up and found some information about Mr. Manta, man, or Randolph Mantooth, who was a part of that wonderful TV show and be giving you a little bit of information about him. Some interesting stuff. Really, really interesting. Cool. Cool. Corinne, what do you got going? Well, after a few weeks break from uh, talking about travel, we'll go back to uh, the travel talk, and I'm going to fill everyone in on when I went to Moab and Monticello, Utah. Okay, and I've been through both of those. Uh, Electric Aaron, what's on your mind? Well, um, a subject came up in through a discussion with my husband and I, and we started talking about the wildcat teamster. Um, <laughs> the strike. The teamster strike. The wildcat of, strike. Right. Yeah. With the truckers. And, uh, yeah. So that's kind of piqued my interest for the week. And I'm going to just talk a little bit about that. Yeah. That was back in 1980, wasn't it? 70s. 70s. Okay. I know Sylvester Stallone, did a movie off it called Fist, 
and uh, it's actually one of his very lesser known uh, docu- uh, shows. Uh, we did we actually watched a documentary on him on my days off called Sly. And it kind of gave me a new appreciation for him. Uh, I don't know if you guys knew it, but he's gone through five back surgeries between Rocky, The Expendables, and Rambo. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, and that dog that you see in Rocky was his actual real dog in uh, real life. And his best friend, Henry Winkler, actually rescued him off the interstate. So uh, they became very good friends. The Fonz. Everybody remembers the Fonz. Oh, I love love that show. Yeah. Well, Greg, I think you just got nominated to talk about Happy Days next. (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we could take a vote on it. I vote no five times. You vote no no five times? Okay. Grant, I think you vote yes twice. Aaron, you sure. vote yes twice. Pav twice and me twice. So I guess you're outvoted, Greg. You lo- you lose again there, buddy. You're making Sorry, me, it's making just, me talk so- about entertainment and I hate entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody said the podcast game would be easy my friend if it was everybody would be doing it i'm gonna talk about dog farts (laughs) dog farts okay i don't know where you could go with that one so Uh, i i am going to be talking about numerology and what you guys your numbers are and ironically aaron and corinne are the number eight that's your life path number and pav and tony b who's not with us tonight and greg ghost hunter greg and motorhead mark are all threes and they're known as the communicators the eights by the way are the executives now don't get your heads swelled up ladies it's not what you think <laughs> oh, come on right right okay <laughs> So I guess we're going to start. Who do we put on stage first? Well, who wants to go first? I'm going to let you volunteer yourselves tonight. So I guess I got to pick them then. Oh, by the way, this is visit number 5454. Aaron, you're up. So let's hear about your topic on that Wildcat Teamster strike. All right. So uh, this weekend, uh, my husband and I were watching uh, old movies and the movie High Roller came up, which is like an old trucker movie. And uh, we started talking or I started asking questions about um, why these movies were so popular. And he said because of the the trucker strike um, and uh, the mafia. Jimmy Hoffa was in charge, like the president of the union, the Teamsters Union in the 1970s and 60s. And uh, so we were talking about this movie and how it, like all these other movies have come about due to the fact that the truckers kind of got this big, uh, almost real cowboy, modern day cowboy um, persona after the wildcat strike and a wildcat strike is when the union 
when they go against the union and the employees do whatever they want. Well, they strike when they shouldn't be striking, according to the union. So this this trucker strike, they shut down in the 70s. They wanted their union agreed to a dollar ten raise over three years. The truckers decided they didn't want a dollar ten. They wanted a dollar sixty-five. So I think it was about fourteen thousand truckers striked all across the, the states throughout uh, from Chicago. There was um, Columbus, Detroit, Toledo, Buffalo, Kansas City, Milwaukee, Los Angeles, San Francisco. So it was pretty much across the board. And these trucker strikes, they had rolling um, pickets where they would block off the highway and only allow through the traffic that was um, like vegetables or uh, food and they allowed beer they allowed uh, pharmacy drugs through but anything that wasn't like uh, mandatory or you know enough that you could live um, they just they stopped traffic they threw rocks um, they even had to call in the the National Guardsmen they had to call out 4100 National Guardsmen um, to come to combat the the rolling pickets uh, in Ohio, and they even had them um, like armed with M1 rifles. Uh, these they even had the guardsmen having to do um, like to watch over convoys as they came through the, through the ports because they were just stopping traffic. It was really, really aggressive. So it's it was interesting mainly because with the convoy that happened up in Canada in 2022, um, you know, they said like they lost millions of dollars and when they were blocking the ports and but everything was peaceful. So it's amazing to see what really, I guess it's 50, 50 some odd years uh, changes perspectives because these guys got away with it and they got their raise that they wanted they even got more sick time they even got um amnesty for doing this wildcat strike yeah being so aggressive but in the 70s that was you know these wildcat uh strikes were quite common and it's just funny to see how we've progressed and how the convoy was peaceful and yet that's more of a bigger taboo than than these strikes in the 70s and finding information on these strikes is like back from the 70s it's really hard to find any information about it which is I kind of thought was a little interesting I phoned my my dad and asked for if he knew anything about these strikes in the 70s and he said he really didn't know much and that a lot of it was hidden or covered up because Jimmy Hoffa being in the mafia a lot of it was covered up and then I phoned my father-in-law because he's been a trucker and he trucked through the 70s but he said he didn't truck in that area uh, through the 70s so he didn't really know too much so the the subject just really tickled my fancies for some reason about that for one 
the mafia was involved in a union and that, you know, uh, controlled the union and uh, controlled so much in the States. I, I don't know. I just, I guess I'm that younger, you know, born in 1985. So I don't uh, know too much history, but I thought that was a really interesting thing to learn was this, uh, how they striked back then, how they got away with it, how aggressive things were. Um, yeah, I just, anybody have any information on these wildcat strikes of the 70s that they want to fill me in on any information? I can remember some of it as a kid, um, of course, being here in the States. I can, I can <clears throat> vaguely remember some of the some of the picket lines and so forth. You know, the trucks kind of, usually when I saw them, they were just sitting alongside the highway, uh, really not doing much of anything. So, but yeah, the, the Teamsters and the Mafia and all that stuff back in the days were, they were pretty much hand in hand. Yeah, and like, what a crazy thing to go hand in hand. I mean, yeah, just... I didn't realize it, and I didn't know any of that information. Like, I just... It's its big money. Yeah, big money. You're talking about unions, and that's big money nowadays, and then the mafia. Crazy. Absolutely. Sorry, that's... I, just... I don't remember too much about them. I was just a kid then, so... Uh... But I do, I do remember people talking about the Mafia being involved in lots of different things, so it's not surprising. Yeah, I knew they were in the garbage business or whatever, but I did not yep. know they were in the trucking business. And I just, and I guess in the unions, and that could be everything. I mean, wow, well, if, they ran the world. You, if you think about the garbage business and you think about, well, how do we hide bodies? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Something That's to add, guys. Something I could add for you is the U.S. Postal Strike of 1970 was an eight-day strike by federal postal workers back in March. And it began in New York City, and it spread to some of the other cities following uh, the weeks after that. And the strike against the federal government was regarded as, as the illegal wildcat and largest wildcat strike in the U.S. history, I might add. Yeah, like, it's crazy that these wildcat strikes happened and you don't hear about stuff like that nowadays like that's just not done any when it should be there's some things that we should strike for and that we should stand up for and we don't and that's because we have no rights anymore yeah now around here we have a lot of uh coal mining strip mines and so forth and i remember quite often as a kid there would always be wildcat strikes yeah like i don't like, I grew up in a union family. We were very pro-union. It's only been in the last few years that I've gotten to trucking and um, and my frustration, I guess, in healthcare um, that I've not necessarily become as pro-union. I find, I find that uh, I my biggest thing was when I forced the vaccines with the union, that the union just did it and didn't even... Um, try to fight back, which normally they try to fight back. And when they didn't, I just kind of lost respect for the union. And I would have loved to have done some sort of a, a wildcat walkout. And it's just not done and not known. And maybe it is known. Maybe I just... I think what you're referring to is in Chicago, the trucker's strike was a revolt against union leadership. 
and this was according to the New York Times. It was spread nationwide, mm-hmm. including to Los Angeles and Cleveland, where roving pickets fought with police and National Guardsmen. And yeah. um, they had set up a roving patrol system that they could muster 300 men within an hour to stop any truck moving goods in that area. And the strikers were allowing the trucks carrying food, drugs, and beer to continue, but they were actually outraged when they found out that there's food uh, that was being transported in some of these trailers carrying other cargo. And mm-hmm. they were that's when they, you're referring to them throwing rocks through windshields, smashing tires, uh, or slashing, not smashing, s- slashing tires, and air hoses being cut. And um, as a result, 500,000 people, half a million people were out of, a res- uh, out of work from that strike. And I think that's the one that you were referring to originally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it was uh, just the beginning of uh, a crazy amount of strikes in that year. It was actually reported that there was over 5,000 strikes in that year alone. Um, yeah, this in the 1970s. Big. Crazy. Yeah. Big, big, big for strikes. I guess that's that peace, yeah. love, and war stuff. You know, it's the 60s, 70s. Everybody's trying to get their, their feet back and fight back. And it's... I wish that we did that now, maybe. Maybe that's yeah, why I'm so... Yeah, I do too. People interested in it is, I feel like we should be doing that now as well. Yeah, it's, like, it's like we lost our backbone. Yeah. We've had the, you know... We had the writer's strike and then the actor's strike, which just ended yeah. up last, last night. So, but you know, eh, whatever. They're still millionaires. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> they got yes. A dollar to correct you, those were minor actors that were, that were striking. They weren't your, your big time named actors like your Matthew McConaughey's and, you know, your, your De Niro's. I mean, you were, you're talking about uh, people that are having two or three speaking parts, Greg. Not true. <laughs> oh, I thought right. the actual strike was all of them, not just the, the I'm say lower paid ones, but somehow I can't see the rock picketing when he's making, you know, over five million dollars a picture. Yeah, exactly. And I think that was lowballing it. I think he's way, way up there. So Oh but he probably he probably he probably went on Twitter and said about his support. <laughs> yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. For, for okay. Well, that count kind of rounds out about uh, the strike talk. Anybody got anything to add to it? No. Let me put it this way. I wish I could strike with my company right now. That's all mm-hmm. I'll say. <laughs> but... That's okay. We will change the chapter of the book for sure. And speaking of change, we are going to go back to some classic rock with Fist. And this is called Never Come Back on Highway Freaks. Come round, you give me that feeling. 
Hey, some great music from Fist there. This is Ghost Hunter Greg again, and as we, as I said, we uh, we were talking this last week. I was talking about my my years in the fire service, and uh, we got to talking about a wonderful, wonderful show back in the 1970s, which was called Emergency. And then somehow we got talking about Randolph Mantooth. Uh, he was, of course, one of the stars of that great show. And so I've got some things to talk about here about Mr. Randolph Mantooth and his history and, and what he did in the show and what this show did for the emergency services. It's, it's really, really surprising uh, what it did to help change things. And there's a few things that I'll talk about that uh, will tell you that. But uh, Mr. Randolph Mantooth was born Randy DeRoy Mantooth. In September 19 of 1945, like seem I think what we thought 78 now. Uh, interesting about his middle name, DeRoy, his uh, when he played in Emergency, his partner's name was Roy DeSoto. I don't know if maybe that had something to do with it. Uh, of course, he was a great American actor. He worked in television, documentaries, theater, film uh, for more than 50 years. Uh, He's a graduate of the American Academy of Dramatic Arts and was discovered in New York by a Universal Studio talent agent while performing the lead in the play Philadelphia. Here I come. After signing with Universal and moving to California, he slowly built up his resume worth work on such dramatic series as Adam 12 in 1968, Marcus Welby, MD in 1969, and McLeod in 1970 and Elias Smith and Jones, which I don't remember. I remember the other ones, but I don't remember Elias Smith and Jones in 1971. He portrayed paramedic John Gage in the 1970s medical drama, Emergency. Uh, Randolph Mantooth has spoken regularly at firefighter and EMS conferences and synopsis across the United States while maintaining an active acting career. He is a spokesperson for both the International Association of Firefighters and the International Association of Fire Chiefs for firefighters' health and safety and honored over the years with numerous awards and recognitions. Producer Robert A. Senator saw Randolph Mantooth in a small role on the Bold Ones opposite Hal Holbrook that led to his decision to cast him as paramedic John Gage on emergency. Randolph Mantooth and Kevin Ty were both part of a paramedic team assigned to Squad 51 of the Los Angeles County Fire Department, responding to accidents or dangerous rescues in an emergency room on wheels with directions via biophone. Of course, we talked about that the other day, the biophone and telemetry which they'd actually call in to personnel at the hospital and get uh, get orders and send they could send strips and so forth it was one of the really cool things that came out in that time the paramedics performed advanced life support or ALS techniques to stabilize injured ill and dying patients before transporting them to a medical facility of course they never really transported they had an ambulance come and pick them up they just drove the squad to train for their parts, the actors Randolph Mantooth, along with Kevin Ty, sat in on paramedic classes, although they never took any written exams. And they also rode out on extensive ride-alongs with the L.A. County Fire Department. 
In an interview with Tom Blixa of WTVN, Mantu said that the producer wanted them to train so that they would at least know the fundamentals and look like they knew what they were doing on camera. Mantooth mentioned that unless you take the written courses, you're not a paramedic, and that if anyone has a heart attack, I'll, be, I'll call 911 with the best of them. According to authors Richard Yokely and Roxanne Sutherland, who wrote the book Emergency, Behind the Scenes, the show Emergency is an important chapter in television history. At the time of the series, world premiere in 1972, there were only 12, that's 12, paramedic units in North America located in four municipalities. Ten years later, after the show, more than half of all Americans were within 10 minutes of a paramedic rescue or ambulance unit. That, to me, is just amazing. That tells you what this show meant to the emergency services. Just absolutely incredible. Due to the influence, and that was due to the influence of the show, the program introduced audiences from all over the world to the concept of pre-hospital care along with fire prevention and CPR. The show ran six seasons, which is 129 episodes, with seven two-hour television movie specials, including the pilot film, The Winsworth Townsend Act, with a national audience that averaged 30 million viewers a week. Mantooth directed two episodes of Emergency, The Nuisance in 1976 and The Insanity Epidemic in 1977 and also directed the television movie Greatest Rescues of Emergency in 1978. Mantooth and Ty did many of their own stunts in the early years with, the rule, with this rule of thumb. And in quote, if you could see our faces, it was us doing the stunts. If you couldn't, it was our stunt doubles. He was offered an or this is Mantooth, he was offered an opportunity after emergency went off the air to be an actual firefighter, but decided to continue with acting. Nearly 30 years after emergency debuted, the Smithsonian Institute accepted emergency memorabilia into its American History Museum and the Public Service Division and Not Entertainment on May 16th of 2000. Items inducted at the Smithsonian included their uniforms, scripts, helmets, turnouts, biophone, and defibrillator. In conjunction to the introduction of the equipment from emergency at, Smith, at the Smithsonian, Project 51 was created in an effort to raise funds for children's burn charity and, and exhibit the restored squad truck around the country. Mantooth, along with Marco Lopez, Tim Donnelly, Ron Pickard, and Mike Stoker, embarked on a 10-city tour with the squad to raise funds for charity on their way to Washington, D.C., with their final destination being the Smithsonian. Project 51 folded after the equipment was inducted into the Smithsonian and the funds were distributed to burn centers, fire education projects, and museums. In 2012, Mantooth and Ty were presented with traditional white leather Cairns hel Chiefs helmets by the Los Angeles County Fire Department as honorary fire chiefs of the department. 
The honor was bestowed on the men for their contributions to the fire service and emergency medicine through educating and inspiring children and adults to be firefighters, EMTs, and paramedics. The series contributed to the revolution in emergency medicine and mobile emergency health care across the country. That to me is a lot of, some of that stuff I didn't even realize that, but I knew, I knew about, probably about the time that, uh, about the, the show was out, my dad went and became a, an EMT. And uh, among the, some of the first EMTs in our state. So it had a, it had a huge influence on the emergency services. It's amazing. I think so that's great, great that a TV show had such a positive influence on real life. Yeah, it, yeah, it, that, that is good. It makes you know made people think. Oh, maybe that's something I'd be interested in doing. <laughs> Did you also know, Greg, that uh, he beat cancer? I vaguely remember hearing about him having cancer again i'm not that big an entertainment person but uh it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise you know i know a lot of firefighters who have been fighting cancer so i'll elaborate on it he uh, was diagnosed with lung lung cancer and october 28 1998 the red cross notified cms cmc that had supplied the hospital with blood that did not meet its standards as a precaution the red cross normally did not allow people who had lived in central africa for longer than 12 months to donate blood and apparently this is where it evolved from and he's been cancer free since 2015 so far so, um, so he he got some of that blood or is that how it happened from what I understand, yeah, that's uh, that's what it says. Uh, and his sister, Nancy Jean Mantooth de Hoyos, had died of cancer that same year in 2015. He also has a brother named Donald Mantooth, who's also an actor, I might add. And um, he's been in a lot of different shows, such as Marcus Welby, and MD, and some of those uh, 70 shows as well. So it uh, sounds like the whole family was uh, actor and actresses, which is kind of unique in itself as well. It is, it's, and especially considering, you know, the families that go into the emergency services together. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, you can do a lot more research on him on Facebook. Uh, he's on Facebook. He actually does live feeds, and you can actually come, you know, he will acknowledge uh, you as you make comments to him. So he sounds like a really down-to-earth guy. So, um which, you know, you don't normally get people of the 70s that have that uh, composure with their fans. So it's really cool. Yes, sir. Yeah. Anybody else got anything to add? No, not me. Aaron, Pav, speak now or forever hold your peace. I got nothing. You got nothing. Okay. Well, okay. I... That was great, by the way, Greg. And uh, I still will hold you to the Happy Days topic and uh, some of the facts of Happy Days because I think that would be really quite intriguing. So I'm going to I'm gonna nominate you for that. So let's go into numerology because that's quite fascinating in itself. And contrary to what some people think, it's not witchcraft. Okay, it actually developed 2,500 years ago. Okay, with Pythagoras, 
Okay. And he developed a near perfect number system that break broke down to a single digit and signified what number you were. And if you uh, actually, I'm going to give a lady credit. Her name is Glynis, and you can get this book. It's called Glynis Has Your Number. Her name is Glynis McCants. That's G L Y N I S M C capital C A N T S. Uh, and it's called Glynis Has Your Number. If you go through this book, it will blow your mind and it will change your life. It says, I'm about to blow Corinne and Aaron's mind because they're both eights. And they were asking me earlier, well, bright guy, what's what's an eight? What's what what does that mean? I'm an eight life path. Okay, the way that you get your number is you take your birth date and your year and you break it down to a single digit. That's how it works, guys. Okay. Now, Aaron and Cruz and Corinne are ironically known as what we call the executives. Okay. And I'm gonna give you a summation on what you two ladies are about okay and if i you know hit a uh, uh a nerve just go yeah that's me you can say that too you know okay so the eighth life lesson is to establish financial security okay that is not yep. to say oh we got laughs already okay that is not to say that eights are materialistic it's just that the eight life path seeks the freedom that comes from being financially stable. They don't like the fact that money can be elusive. So they find ways to keep the money coming in so they'll never be without. Hmm. Does that sound interesting, ladies, so far? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. Because of this, there are a lot of eights who are actually actually millionaires okay they never spend a penny of it okay they'd rather keep the money in the bank where it's safe then there's another kind of eight where they have money and they feel the need to spend it all so there's two different eights the frivolous eight and the penny pincher eight usually eights tend to be drawn into the finer things in life they like quality and often have attractive possessions a nice home a car clothes big rig Aaron they possess <laughs> things that are reminders that are basically under their control financially the eights have excellent executive abilities and this is also the politicians number it's a power number which means that while they want control they do hope to use it as a way to make a positive difference in the world the eight is the classic workaholic Okay, often a woman who is married to an eight life path will get upset and tell her husband he doesn't care about her or their children. All he cares about is work. I can tell you that what he's thinking, hey, I'm trying to make things happen and achieve some goals so I can be a great provider. The same goes for the eight life path woman. They also get uh, caught up in the business world. Okay, they say, uh, I can remember that uh, eights are work so hard they must basically take time to give the people in their lives enough personal attention okay so we go back to some more here okay the number eight has a dual nature 
This is evident visually from the number itself, one circle on top of the other. The number is sometimes interpreted as a symbol of degeneration and regeneration. When turned on its side, it becomes a symbol of infinity. It is no surprise then that the complete reversal are always a possibility with this number. This can be a good thing. If an eight makes a big decision in work or a personal relationship and halfway through re realizes it's the wrong one, it's okay to do a 180 and go the other way. That's what the eight must learn to do instead of staying stubbornly stuck in a bad position. I often tell eights that they're allowed to change their minds. On the other hand, the reversals can go the opposite way. The eight life paths will have some difficult times in life. They may experience sorrow and wind up in circumstances where they feel humiliated. An example of just this sort of uh, is was Martha Stewart. When she worked hard, she amassed a great fortune, and then one bad thing, she's in prison, but what did she do? She bounced back, she got all her money, and she's doing very well today. Life path aids tend to be huge successes or major failures, often both in one lifetime. The aids just need to keep their focus on any endeavor they pursue and they will experience success. That said, aids should remember it's important to stop and smell the roses. It is common for an eight life path to be misinterpreted by others. To avoid this, the eight must learn to be more tactful. They tend to tell the truth about what they're thinking, neglecting to edit their remarks for the larger audience. Okay? The eight life path considers strife and struggle to be a normal part of life. But the one thing an eight cannot get over is infidelity. If a partner cheats on an eight, it is the best for the eight to let that person go. It would take a superficial, supernatural effect for the eight to get over it. Even if they say that with the partner, the eight will never really get over it. Okay, And the eight life path does not have much tolerance to people who feel sorry for themselves either. An eight who sees themselves themselves suffer will likely say, I think I'm sorry that happened to you. So get over it. Suck it up, buttercup. Okay. A good piece of news is that eights are late bloomers. If you're an eight life path and you're thinking, gosh, I wonder I'm too old to do what I want to do. It, I mean, it, basically in life, you're never too old to do it and you can always do it and make your dreams come true. Occupations that suit the eight include banker, stock market trader, accountant, office manager, and engineer. The life path also makes good corporate lawyers or judges. Okay. Many go into the field of welding, planning, interior decorating, uh, running uh, nonprofit organizations. They're often physically beautiful or models or actors as well. Okay, so ladies, that's what you guys are, eight. And one somebody that we can uh, refer to as an eight is Cindy Crawford. She's a beautiful uh, eight life path woman who has turned her assets into a remarkable career, not only with her looks, but her modeling and of course, all her additional, uh, you know, marketing with, uh, with social media and clothing and, and the whole list of things that Cindy is involved with. So that's what you, Cruz and Corinne and Electric Aaron are a eight life path. Any questions, ladies?
have a comment. Um, Go ahead. I think I, I fit some of that, but not all of it. Like, I would never tell somebody to suck it up, buttercup kind of attitude. Um, okay. It's funny. Well, I've got three businesses on the go right now. None of them have made you me do. a millionaire yet, though, but working on no. it. And uh, right. funny that you mentioned my newest business I'm starting is bookkeeping. I took accounting clerk a number of years ago at VIU here, and I'm starting a bookkeeping business. So that falls there right into go. what you were talking yeah. about. And right. uh, the infidelity of a partner. Yeah, that I had a partner cheat on me, and, and uh, I, I have no patience for that, for sure. Right. So, so there's okay. a lot. Yeah, there's a lot that line up with with me. Some of it okay. didn't, but yeah, that's pretty okay. cool. I know, Aaron, you would be the type to say "suck it up, Buttercup." <laughs> totally, especially if it was somebody I didn't super respect. Like, um, yeah, if you and another one is like, if you hurt me, I'll never, you know, uh, I'll right. never think better of you like i will always right. impressions actually yeah. matter a lot to me so if you piss yeah. me off if you hurt my feelings you're pretty much done in my book i, okay. I might be yeah. nice, but uh, you know it, that's that's where it's i'm gonna say suck it up buttercup for sure yeah. <laughs> so, so so with with that in, in summation you two ladies kind of mirror a lot of those characteristics. I could see that right away. What do you yeah. say there, Ghost Hunter Greg? Yeah, I, I would say so. Instead of suck it up, yeah. buttercup, though, I like to say embrace the suck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> embrace the suck. <laughs> okay. And if you just joined us, this is not Greg's porn hour. So don't worry about that. <laughs> Okay, so, um, yeah, so that's what you guys are. Uh, if you want to get the book, like I said, you can pick it up at Chapters. I'm going to give her a plug because um, she's amazing. And later on, I'm actually going to read what this month is about and how you guys can, you know, either counteract something that you, you, uh, you know, you're coming across or uh, be aware of it. So we're going to actually do a real reading from Glynis McCants later on here tonight as well. So there you go. You guys are the executive eights and uh, we will go into the threes a little bit later as well. Um, but Corinne, you're going to be up next to talk about your traveling topics. So we're going to start with another song with Fisk, some good hard rock on Highway Freaks.
welcome back. This is Cruzan Corinne, and going by Bry Guy's uh, numerology, I'm an eight, life path eight with an attitude four, which he will fill in on that later. Tonight I'm going to talk about um, uh, two destinations in eastern Utah that I visited on a trip that I took uh, down to the Grand Canyon. I'll be talking about Moab and Monticello. Um, I had heard from many friends and travelers how fabulous. Uh, Moab is to visit. I was very excited to be able to add uh, add it to my trip itinerary and check it out for myself for the first time. Uh, running so running north south through Utah, Highway 10 or sorry 191 is the main highway that runs to and through Moab. At the north end of Highway 191, the terrain starts out quite flat and deserty. And then as you get closer to the Arches National Park, which is just north of Moab, the soil color changes to the reds and the browns and the yellows. And this, I found out this color change occurs from oxidation of the iron in the soil by the rain and the air. The uh, Arches National Park is a must-see when in Moab. The red rock spire formations are spectacular. Flat tops, the voids forming the arches and the red colors are mesmerizing. The arch uh, rock formations are formed in the sandstone by erosion and freeze-thaw cycles. And some of those rock spires are so massive that they make you feel very minuscule when you're standing beside them. They're, they're very dramatic. And uh, in that area, there are many places to hike to explore the arches but be prepared and take water and snacks and be on alert for snakes as well when you go hiking in that area. 20 miles uh, southeast of Moab are the LaSalle Mountains and they are part of the Rocky Mountains and the Manti LaSalle National Forest. These mountains are the typical snow-capped soaring rugged mountains that we have like in BC and, and Alberta. And depending on your viewpoint, if you're looking at both at the same time, you get quite the visual contrast between the flat top red spires in the foreground to the LaSalle Mountains in the background. One bit of advice when visiting Moab and area is to plan activities and exploring earlier in the day uh, because depending on the time of year, it can get incredibly hot in the afternoon. Uh, so, and so finding shade or a pool becomes a huge relief in the afternoons. It is also very dry, there's not a lot in the way of vegetation, and the winds can really start whipping through the area. I booked a tent site at a campground right in downtown Moab called Canyonlands RV Park, but I have recently found out that they changed their name to Sun Outdoors Moab Downtown. Quite an interesting new name, but it was a great place to stay. It was nice and close to, to everything, walking distance within, within the town. I learned two things at this campground. Request a shaded campsite or your tent becomes an oven. And the second thing was even though you're camping on sand, dirt and rock, figure out a way to anchor your tent because the winds and storms can literally come out of nowhere. We had unpacked, settled in and then went for a walk exploring. A windstorm whipped up while we were away from the campsite and even though we anchored the tent the best we could, and put all of the riding gear in the tent for weight, the wind blew our tent through the campground like it was a dry tumbleweed. We found it on the opposite end with everything scattered all over the place. 
Uh, a fantastic place for food and beverages in Moab was the Moab Brewery. They had delicious food, large portions, and their own craft beer to try out. I highly recommend paying them a visit if you're there. Just a few miles northwest of Moab is a turnoff onto Highway 128. It has been designated the Upper Colorado River Scenic Byway. This highway follows the curves and the twists in the valley of the Columbia River for over 40 miles, which means a perfect road for riding a motorcycle. It is amazing the variety of activities and interests there are to do around Moab, from hiking to mountain biking, dirt biking, adventure riding, quadding and off-roading. There is something there for everyone to enjoy. Since I used to mountain bike and downhill, I recently watched a few videos showcasing the mountain bike trails. They are insane. I, I, I've never ridden anything like that before. It would be interesting to try riding over the rocks, the drops, and the narrow trail lines with drops. And for those that aren't into extreme activities, there's um, other, other uh, places to explore, such as a dinosaur museum, and there's fossils and the rock formations that are a little low, lower key than, than all the extreme sports. When I was researching the Moab area, I noticed there was also a lot to explore to the south about an hour away. So instead of keeping base camp in Moab and putting two extra hours of travel each day going back and forth, I looked at campgrounds in a small community, Monticello. It turned out to be a great place for a base camp as there was tons of, of um, places to explore just within that area. We stayed at the Westerner RV Park, which was close to these attractions. And since it, then, since it was a very short travel day from Moab, camp was set up and settled by early afternoon. And we had a surprise thunderstorm roll in and we had to hunker down in a tent for the first evening that we were in Monticello. About 40 miles south of Monticello is a place called Bluff along with fascinating rock formations to explore and historical Fort Bluff to visit. There are many other attractions to see and explore there as well. I didn't have enough time to really check out the area around Bluff, so the next time I'm there, I'm definitely going to be checking out uh, that area closer and staying, staying in Bluff. Pretty much any time you're traveling on a motorbike, there will be locals that want to give you all sorts of tips and advice on attractions that you just have to see when you're in their area. And a gentleman told us of a road that went behind town and up the mountain. As, so we decided to check it out and as we rode al along it turned out to be a great motorcycle road in the end. We had no idea where where this road was ending. He didn't tell us that part of it. So we kind of put our trust in a stranger on that one. At one point, we were high enough up that we were actually riding through the clouds that had settled in, so it was quite interesting. After, after the ride, we figured out that this road was Highway 101. Um, at the top, at a viewing area, the scenery was breathtaking. You could see for miles and miles across the valley. It was absolutely beautiful. Uh, we, weren't, we weren't sure if we were supposed to head back the way we came or to continue on as there wasn't much traffic up there, but there was a cyclist and he suggested we keep going. And it turned out that this was the back way into the Canyonlands National Park and the Needles section of that park. And uh, have, so we went, we went into the Needles section and wanted to explore that area. 
And I don't know if you've heard about crows and how intelligent they can be. I have a funny little story. We, we were parked in the parking area and we were walking, checking everything out, talking to other tourists. And on the way back, I noticed that there were two crows on, on our bikes. And we got close enough and figured out that those little buggers, I gave them nicknames Frick and Frack, had unzipped our tank bags and were pulling everything out and dropping it on the ground. They were looking for food or seeds, I don't know what. And I, I was surprised that they would know how to unzip a zipper. That was pretty bizarre. Another sight to see in the Monticello area is the Mesa Verde National Park. And the road that goes through the park is actually a designated motorcycle road. So as a rider, you know you're in for a special treat. And it was loaded with curves, twisties, and hairpins, taking you to two spectacular viewpoints. The day we were there, it was clear, so the view overlooking the valley for miles was perfect. Overlooking an area that massive and sprawling puts into perspective how small we really are. I didn't know what to expect riding to Moab and Monticello, but I was not disappointed and I can't wait to get back there to explore more of the areas. Have, and have any of you been to Moab or Monticello? You mentioned, Bry Guy, that you had been through those areas? Yes, I've gone through there many times. Uh, and it's a spectacular uh, area, especially when you go through in the day. You can see all the different rock formations and the different colors of the rocks. Uh, I've never actually gone to where you have, but I've, I've driven through um, many, many times through those areas uh, by, via truck. So uh, Monticello and, uh, and uh, Moab. And um, yeah, it would be a very cool place to camp. So you, you didn't, um, on your adventures, you didn't uh, stay there or anything you were just driving through? Yeah, just driving through and, uh, you know, I might have stayed there for supper at, uh, you know, I think there's a Walmart around there, if I recall. Um, you know, those would be the, the short stints, uh, the life of a truck driver, Corinne. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're not allowed but to it's a spectacular area. It is yeah, cool. I put that on my bucket list. Definitely, definitely. I, you should you should have that on there. I Yeah, no, I agree. So... Uh, I've never seen any snakes, but uh, the soil sure can be hot in the summer. Mm -hmm. uh, I've I've never been there, but I've seen plenty of pictures and so forth. It is just absolutely beautiful. Now, there is a place that I would love to go, and it's north of where you were. And it's a place called the Uinta Valley in a little town mm -hmm. called Gusher. And near that little town called Gusher is a place called Skinwalker Ranch. Right. Right. We have talked about that in previous podcasts. Yes. Yes. I know where exactly where you're talking about, Greg. I would love to go there. I, I know you can't, you can't get on the place, but you can get, you can drive by it. Right. How about you, Aaron? Have you ever gotten down that way? My first like through the Grand Canyon, I've been. Um, the Mojave Desert, I've been through there once with Dale. I, um, yeah, it's it's all very very beautiful down there. I'm one to not really remember where we've been, 
like I can see the places, but I wouldn't be like, oh yeah, I've been there, unless it was like you know a specific name like the Grand Canyon. <laughs> right, right. Especially those rock formations, they're so mm-hmm. smooth and they do kind of funky twists and turns and stuff. So yeah, I re- I recall it, and uh, I like going through there. Not in the winter. Not a big fan going through there in the winter, but definitely yeah. like it going through the summer. Yeah, it was very beautiful. I absolutely loved it. I intend on getting back there again. Okay. Anybody else got to add anything to Corinne's topic tonight? That was funny about the the crows. <laughs> those, those little buggers, eh? They are yeah. very, they are incredibly intelligent. Um, yep. There was a story about a guy who, I think he was in New York City. He caught three or four of them. <laughs> And train them to go around the city and find loose change on the ground. And they would bring it back to him. And he made a ton of money by using these crows. So then figuring out a zipper isn't really that hard for them. <laughs> no, no. They're incredibly intelligent. Uh, probably, I think they're one of the most intelligent birds there are. I was surprised because they actually unzipped the zipper like the tank bags go the zipper goes around and it's hard to describe it right around the top it sits on your tank and it goes right around the top and they had opened it right up and had stuff they were pulling everything out of there it was bizarre and do you know what you call a group of crows isn't that a murder yes yeah <laughs> it's a really good book and a really good movie too Right. That'll be your next topic, Greg. A bio <laughs> on the crows. You like crows better than entertainment? Yeah. <laughs> no, he's he's just he's just twisting me into the whole entertainment thing. I'm gonna be working for e television or something eventually. Right. <laughs> okay. All right. So when we come back, our final number, number three, and we have Four of them on the panel on Highway Freaks. No, no, no. From Fist.
Interesting. When I was going through this numerology workshop I was doing for the topic, I uh, did not realize that we had four number threes on our podcast. And how interesting is that? They're called the communicators and they're on a podcast. Go figure, huh? And one of them happens to be Ghost Hunter Greg. Another one happens to be Tony B. She's not here tonight. Uh, another one is Motorhead Mark. And by Gosh, the last one is Power Pav. So, the three life path. Here we go. When Shakespeare wrote that all the world's a stage, he was talking about the three. Okay, when on track, the three life path is always performing or taking center stage in some way. The threes love creativity, communication, and connecting with people. They are often the entertainers of the world. They love being listened to, so you'll often find them on the phone. Writing is also a big deal to the three, as it's another form of communication. Anything having to do with the written word is appealing to the vibration of three. In personal relationships, threes can be very romantic. Ah, that's nice, eh, Greg? They are fiercely loyal, and they never truly get over their past relationships. Even when their relationship ends, for the three, it's never quite over. When the three life paths aren't expressing themselves creatively, they manifest some sort of drama. They sometimes embellish what's going on to make their lives seem more interesting. Watch a child who's a three at their storytelling and you'll notice they're always exaggerating. The same can be said for the three vibration adults. If they use this tendency in a positive way, channeling it into a motivational speaking, singing, or acting, they can keep it healthy. The three life paths need people. When they go home to check their messages and they're none, they feel a real sense of rejection. In relationships, three life paths don't always uh, set the situation for what it truly is until they get burned. Since threes are natural counselors who are 
who see the potential in others, they often pick a partner who is patient with the thought that they can change that person. The tendency often leads into depression. Everything is going great one minute and the next boom, the three crash lands. The three life paths have to guard against extreme highs and extreme lows. They must learn to control their emotions and look for the middle ground. A three life path makes an excellent salesperson. If a three believes in something, he believes in it to the point that if you don't take it, the three feels actually insulted. The threes make great entertainers, models, actors, designers, musicians, singers, uh, comedians, and any type of performer. They also shine in the world of cosmetology, hairdressing, fashion, and jewelry design. The reason is simple. They want the world to look better. They like to look at someone and say, how can I make that person look special? These people are natural clowns. People who come to my mind would be Bill Cosby, Groucho Marx, and Tracy Ullman. These are the people who want to enjoy life and never grow up. The three vibration doesn't do well with the standard nine to five job either. They don't like working under others. Their minds move very quickly. And when someone is slow thinking, it will frustrate the three. At the same time, the three must guard against becoming too domineering when they are in charge. If they are in a dead end job or lifestyle, they can get themselves caught in some pretty sticky situations that may be hard to get out. They have to use their creative gifts. They can seem manic depressive, experiencing intense mood swings if they're not using their talents. The three life path must be careful when they spend their time. They are warm and giving by nature and tend to attract world-class takers. If threes find that they're always the giver in a relationship, there's no reciprocation. It will lead to bitterness. They must learn to walk away from relationships that are unbalanced in this way. Their strength of mind and sharp wit office puts them ahead of the crowd. When the three life paths are living on the positive side of the vibration, the three is clever, entertaining, and makes for great company. They are a joy to be around. Okay, the threes are known for their trademark, trademark smile, bright eyes, and pleasant looking and sounding voice. If they are living on the negative side of their vibration, they can spread gossip and a very difficult time keeping a secret. If you're a three, learning to bite your tongue would be wise. One of the gifts a three does possess is to take adverse conditions and flip it around to the benefit of themselves and the others. The threes learn from adversity, intuitively understanding that sometimes you have to go through the negative to get to the positive. If you are a three life path and you're reading this or hearing this, well, then you can only express yourself which is automatically within yourself and tell you how you feel and you'll obviously feel better about yourself. Threes, it is important to heal yourself so that you can be the person you were born to be. Trust that you can find your way to effortless self-expression and you will. It's never too late for a three. And it's so interesting that me being a nine, I will actually get along with all my threes. Okay, and by the way, ladies, I have a challenge with the eights, but so far that's not the case on this podcast because Bry Guy being a nine, he can overcome those things. So there you go. So that's what your three is, guys and uh, ladies. Uh, well, Tony not here, but that would be for her as well. Now, Mark, Motorhead Mark is not there tonight, but Corinne, does that sound a bit like him? Yeah, from what I know, I would say a lot of it, yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. I agree. I've known him for three decades, and I would say a lot of that is him for sure. So, yeah. um, so we got a little bit of time. So we're going to do one more thing. We're going to go into your attitude numbers, guys. Okay, meaning Greg and Path. Okay, so. Um, oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I sent me, I sent you a, a message earlier saying you're a six attitude, Greg. Yeah, okay, let me and, let me let me take a drink real quick, okay? What? <laughs> let me grab a drink of Jameson. Oh, okay. Is that is that what you need to find that out? Uh, we're about to find out, aren't we? Okay. <laughs> well, we'll go into Pav first. We'll leave you with a little bit of suspense. Pav's Sounds a one good. attitude. Okay, Pav's a one attitude. So we'll tell everybody what Pav is. Okay, this is someone who doesn't like to ask for help. They are completely self-motivated. They usually have issues with their self-esteem. Okay. They uh, also just, they, they don't think that they're good enough. That's why they need praise from others. If you believe in them, then there's nothing they can't achieve. If they don't, then they rebel. So we just got to give Pav more praise and he'll, he can believe in himself more. There we go. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. And now Greg, attitude six. The attitude for Greg is you are the nurturer, male or female, you're taking care of everybody else. So if you have a child with a six or you're taking care of a mother or a father, oh my gosh, how, how weird is this? They act as if you're basically the mother or father already. They, you are the one in charge, okay? They don't want you telling them what to do or how it's to be. You feel the most useful when things are out of control and you can fix it. If it's peaceful, you don't know what to do with yourself. They definitely take care of other people and they're usually great with children or running a business. When a six enters the room, we all are drawn to them like a moth to a flame. That one is you, Greg. Well, the, the taking care of my mother part, yeah. Uh, the that chaos, was too weird, wasn't it? Yeah, the chaos part, nah, I don't... Well, I mean, I used to, but not so much anymore like I, we were talking that one night that I'm I'm very much a I, I have to have my routines anymore right 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 but that was about 90% you I'd say from what you told me and from what I know of you yeah I, I love kids I wish wish I had kids that's why I got a dog I guess yeah there you go next best thing just like bandit sitting here right beside me so okay so when we come back, we got some pylon shout outs and we're going to raise a little hell tonight.
Okay, so um, I, I get this uh, email every once in a while. Um, it's from numerologist Glynis McCants, and she always tells you what month is it in numerology. So this is what she says. The month of November gives us a, an 11-2 energy with the world number seven influence. The 11-2 energy is something you can't always, you can always use to your advantage rather. The double one energy in the one one gives you a chance to consider what is troubling you the most right now and the energy to do something about it. When you experience the two energy, it lets you know that although there are times you feel confused about what's going on in your life, your intuitive voice already knows the answer. The two is all about getting in touch with our deepest feelings. The key word for this month is intuition. Trust your gut instincts. They will not fail you in this month of 11 slash two. When you add the world number seven energy into the mix, it gives you permission to observe what is going on and not feel the need to jump right in to fix everything. This is the time to step back and assess what is happening in your life. Who do you spend your time with? Are some of the people you spend your time with really your friends? Are they supportive of you? Is your job the one you always wanted? Or do you have a dream job in the back of your mind and have never pursued it? This is a month to be proactive in changing your life for the better. The 11 slash two energy can also find you feeling more emotional than usual. You might be on the defensive or feeling hurt by words that would normally not affect you. It is important to remind yourself that the 11 two heightens our emotions and that too shall pass. Do whatever it takes to avoid any problems by letting things go. This is also a good month to fill your mind with new information that will empower you. Maybe you have a self-help book on your bookshelf you've been meaning to read. This is the month to do so. And if there's an online course or in-person workshop that will help you achieve some of your goals, attending one of these events is a good idea too. Look at this month of 11 slash two as a time to work on yourself and take the steps needed to improve your life. You'll be so happy you did. So this is a bit of a been a bit of a different podcast tonight. Um, that's the beauty of of what we do is uh, we always pick different topics, and sometimes it goes off the rails, and sometimes it uh, it's uh, quite unique and original, such as this one tonight. So um, we will be back for number fifty five. I'm happy to say next week, and uh, we'll have a whole new array of topics, and maybe we'll uh, reiterate Mark's number three. I'm sure he'll be listening to this later, so probably got caught working overtime, but that is Real Truckers Real Life, and that's why we have that uh, slogan that we live by, because uh, being truckers, we are uh, doing deliveries and that sort of thing. Okay, so pylon shout-outs. Corinne, we'll start with you. Okay. Um, I would like to give out red and blue pylons to our female and male veterans. Uh, we've got Remembrance Day coming up on Saturday. And so I would like to send those out to the veterans that fought, went to war and fought for us, and those that served in the military. Um, another separate blue pylon I would like to send out is to a motorcycle friend, Rick, who passed away on the, suddenly on the weekend. Um, he was a big part of the motorcycle community in Nanaimo. Many people know him, and he's going to be missed greatly. Um, so I'd like to send a blue pylon for him. And black pylon, um, going back to Remembrance Day, I'll send black pylons to all those who started the wars that took the loved ones away from family and uh, had to send them out to fight for our freedom and our country. Okay. All right. Erin, 
you always have the interesting ones. But we can pry you away from your Candy Crush game. <laughs> well, Corinne, I totally, you stole mine. I was going to oh, do a pink and a blue pylon for the, all the veterans out there. And I'm just going to do the same thing. So, and a black one is always Trudeau because, you know, you have to, you have to throw a black one for him. A standing black one. Yeah, <laughs> bent over black one. Especially for the Halloween costume, right? Remember that, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, you know, dry, you know, dressing up like a trucker, really, really yeah. Trudeau. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, all right. Well, Pav, we'll let you go next. Oh, mine was a really good week as always. Uh... Red one, I'll give it to my sister and girlfriend. Really good cooks, as always. Blue one, I'll give it to my friend Kushmit. He's been helping me in the gym from last week. I'm starting workout. You guys cannot see it, but when we all meet, you will see. But yeah, I don't have any black one so far. But if I get one, I'll let you. I have to admit, Pav, I think you're so funny. <laughs> like, I That's wish I you saying. commented more. I think that uh, you're you're good. For conversation. Uh, I'll try to bring some topics whenever I can. Yeah. All right. All right. So I, of course, had another incident today. And I'm giving a black pylon to the morons that run the Flying J uh, in um, uh, Perrysburg, Ohio. Okay. I don't know where you guys trained. I think it's Moron Island. <laughs> Because you could not fax to save your life. You could not send an email to save your life. So you get a serious back black pylon. Okay. Um, they had me so frustrated. I was in there for 45 minutes trying to get an email out to a potential future employer. Yep, that's what I said. And uh, they were just driving me batty. Absolutely. Not one of them. And then this one guy had hair longer than my wife's hair when I first met her. I think it was down to his ass. And I told him he should get a haircut. But anyway, that's my black pylon. Greg, you have the last word. Oh, man. Uh, blue pylons. Let's say, well, send one to you, Bry Guy, for inviting me again to be on your podcast. And I'm going to split it two ways, you and, and my always, always here companion, Trucky, my pit bull. He's my constant companion and many times my best friend. And I think sometimes the only person that listens to me. Well, we, we now know that you're a three with a six attitude. So we all got to be aware of that. Yeah, I'll I'll try to explain that to him, but I think he's just going to look at me funny. <laughs> oh, okay, right. There you go. Okay, anybody else uh, got any final words of wisdom? No. Okay. All right. Well, that's our show for tonight. We'll see you next week, and may the good news be yours. <laughs>